Hi, I'm James, one of the pastors here at FAC, and in my humble opinion, the one with the coolest accent. But welcome. Thank you for spending your Easter and choosing to join with us this morning, whether you're here in this big room or you're watching online. Thank you for celebrating together. But what is Easter? What are we actually doing? Is it about new life? Is it about bunnies and eggs? Chocolate? I love chocolate, just saying. Certainly we know we're celebrating Jesus rose from the dead, but what does that actually mean? What does it mean for me and for us right now? Does that mean death isn't the end? Does it mean we all go to heaven when we die? What's actually going on here? What does it mean? It's easier to ask questions than it is actually to have any insight or try to figure out where we should go with this. And so if you feel a little confused, like welcome to the crowd, but we're going to try and think a little this morning about resurrection. It's actually quite easy to feel in the dark about all sorts of things. We were recently in Ireland for my wife's dad's 90th birthday, and we had a fantastic time. He knew all of his family were gathering. You don't want to be surprising 90-year-olds. Bad things might happen. But there were quite a number of surprises for him on the big day. And one of the funnest ones was in the evening, we went out for dinner at a restaurant near a beautiful marina where they lived. And my wife, Jill, had organized all these headbands with little spring things on them and photographs. There she is. She'll kill me for this. But well, there were a whole crowd of people in this restaurant staring at the weirdos with the springs on their heads. But it was a lot of fun. Her dad was completely in the dark about the whole thing, which meant it was a riot. We're going to read part of the account of John's story of Jesus, his gospel. That word gospel really just means good news. But if you've been around church for any length of time at all, it's hardly news that Jesus rose from the dead. So what is going on? What's this all about? Certainly something unexpected is happening. And I'm hoping over the next several weeks, as we begin a new series about the unexpected acts of God, we'll continue to see the ways in which God does things that are harder to understand or explain. But John, he starts out using some metaphors of light and dark. He talks about Jesus in this way. Light is kind of like understanding. Aha! And dark is like, duh! What's going on? Let me give you an example of what I mean. Chapter 1, John says this about Jesus. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus brings clarity. He illuminates the situation. He helps us to see and to understand better. And then John, pretty much immediately in chapter 3, goes on to tell this story about a big noise religious leader who really has no clue whatsoever what's going on. And if you read this story, he's just confused. The man's name is Nicodemus, and we read this in chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night. A nighttime visit from somebody who was literally in the dark and had no clue. Read the conversation and you'll realize how little he understands about Jesus. But in coming to Jesus, he picked the right person who could help him see more clearly. After all, Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, Nicodemus, in the dark, literally and metaphorically, encounters Jesus and he can see his eyes are opened. 
And if that's you today, wondering a little bit about Easter, you kind of know the story, but what's it got to do with me? Wondering, does this really have any relevance beyond a nice weekend? Wondering about meaning and purpose? You've made a great choice and you've come to the right place, I believe, in the room or online. Because today could be your moment to truly encounter Jesus for yourself. Today is his invitation to you to come out of the dark. Here's the story the way John tells it in his gospel, chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been in Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. It's an odd story. And in my opinion, actually, it's not a very satisfying story either. What happened? Where's Jesus? What's going on? Where did he go? And how come all his friends just come and have a look and then go home and get their breakfast? Like, seriously, what's going on? Are they in the dark too? Well, let's at least start with what happened. It's Sunday, the first day of the week, the third day of the chaos that began in Good Friday when Jesus was sentenced to death and tortured and brutally executed. And his followers, they're not just upset and heartbroken because of what's happened. They're terrified because there's a price in their head and they're in hiding. Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' friends, is up early and off to the grave. Up so early, it's still dark. Maybe she's going that time so nobody will see her. Or maybe she's also in the dark and has really very little idea about what Jesus is doing. What happened? She got to the grave she got to the tomb where Jesus had been laid and the stone that blocked the entrance was gone. Archaeologists will tell you very well that in ancient Jerusalem, lots of rock tombs exist, they still do, and often there's a big stone put in front to block the entryway. The entry's low to the ground, kind of ground level, not much more than a meter high, so if you wanted to get in, you're probably going to crawl in, and the big stone would go in front. The well-to-do had a fancier operation, as they always do. They could afford a big round stone like a wheel, and there would be a slot in the ground so you could lean it in, and it kind of looked a little bit fancier, just like some people get enormous gravestones today. But the stone was moved. I remember once working in another church and we were doing this Easter thing and we'd carved this big gigantic tomb out of styrofoam. It was painted gray. It's up on a big stage like this. It's enormous. And there's a big round stone in front of it made of styrofoam too, painted gray on the outside with some fishing line on it. So at the right moment, somebody could pull it. Some sort of strobe would go off inside the tomb and out would come Jesus. Surprise! Except Except when the moment came and the person tugged on the wire, the stone fell over 
and it's white on the inside because they only painted one side of it. It's obviously styrofoam. <laughs> and even worse, Jesus wasn't ready. He's inside texting on his phone. <laughs> it was a complete disaster. Back to Mary. She saw the stone was gone. She runs off to get help. Her assumption is that somebody's taken his body and moved it somewhere, perhaps by grave robbers. It was a thing back then. Kind of like, you know, we're stealing catalytic converters today. They were getting into graves. In fact, the Roman emperor Claudius, some years after Jesus, had passed a decree that put the death penalty on people robbing graves. It had become such a big problem. Mary's response is somewhat understandable because she doesn't understand They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have laid him. What scandal is this? Is it not bad enough that you had to publicly execute him? Now you can't even leave his body alone. What's going on? Where's Jesus? She's still in the dark as to why the tomb was empty. She finds Peter and John. They all run back. John, probably younger, certainly fitter and faster. He gets there first. He peeps inside. And sure enough, Jesus' body is gone and he sees the grave clothes lying there very unusually. Finally, Peter gets there, the slow horse, huffing and puffing. He bursts inside because he's always been impetuous. And there too, he sees the body's gone. The grave clothes are there. And the napkin, the turban, the cloth that was around Jesus' head is off to one side. It's weird. It's almost as though his body has floated out through the grave clothes and they just flopped in the ground. Well, it's either that, you know, like a butterfly coming out of a chrysalis. It's either something like that, or you've had a very tidy grave robber who took the body out, folded everything up really nicely, and then made off with a heavily mutilated naked body for whatever reason. Or else something very unusual is going on. They had a look. They went home. They didn't really understand. They're still in the dark. It's a strange story. But what does it all mean? Well, it certainly means that death has been defeated. Peter, the slow one, he would later on say in one of his sermons, God raised him up, having released him from the agony of death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. It was impossible for death to hold Jesus because Jesus wins. Try again, third service in a row. Jesus wins! There you go. Death is defeated. Later that day, and you can read about it in John chapter 20 and on into 21, Jesus starts showing up with all of his followers and they're like, whoa, what's going on? They're all amazed. And they see him face to face. You see, death is the one thing we never fully get used to. We know what happens. It'll happen to our loved ones. It'll happen to us eventually too. We try to put it off. We try to figure it out. But at the end of the day, it always feels wrong. The loss hurts. And try as we will to make it more palatable or cover it over, it reminds us of the finitude of life. It reminds us there's something fundamentally wrong with our world. It reminds us that the story we live in is ultimately a tragedy. But because Jesus has been raised to life, death is no longer the wall that we slam into at the end of life. Nor is it some kind of mirror that we keep looking at ourselves and realizing, man, I got to get everything for me now because there's nothing after this. In fact, death is much more like a door and it is a door that Jesus has not just burst through. He's not clean off of its hinges. Jesus says to us, and we need to hear his voice saying, I was dead and see, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Death defeated. 
The resurrection of Jesus, miraculous though it was, isn't God just sort of flexing some muscles to show us what he's got. It isn't just so the story of Jesus could have a happier ending than being crucified in public. It wasn't even there just to prove that there is the possibility of life after death. It is so much more. In the resurrection of Jesus, reality, physical reality as we know it, has changed forever. There is a new chapter in cosmic history that is being written because of resurrection. Jesus broke through the door for the future and he leaves it wide open for all of us to follow through and walk after him. Death defeated. Jesus' whole life, his whole ministry was about bringing hope and pointing towards a future. He welcomed tax collectors and sinners, people who were always on the margins, the B-list of life. Nobody invited them to come to their house. They were second class. He touched lepers and people who were ostracized by others, the sick, and he put his arms around them and kissed them and welcomed them home. He touched blind people and helped them to see again. He came alongside all sorts of people struggling with physical movements and he helped them to get up and get going again. And now he's defeated death. He's the first, but he's certainly not the last. Oh no. One day we will rise too because not even death can hold us down. The Apostle Paul once wrote to his friends and he says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died, first but not last. Jesus shared our experience of death so that we get to share in his resurrection life because he lives, we too shall live. His death defeating life, this is a hope-filled future. Resurrection does mean that death has been defeated. But resurrection also means that God's kingdom has broken in. My parents have been invited by King Charles to a garden party at Buckingham Palace to celebrate his coronation next month. They're quite excited. I had no idea they were so important. Like, I have 50-odd years. Nobody's ever told me you knew the royal family. I guess most of us never think about those things. I don't think about kingdoms and kings and queens. never crosses my mind. And yet, really, we all have a kingdom, at least in the way the Bible means it. We all have a kind of a sphere in which what we say goes. We have a range to our effective will and what we want happens there. You could see examples of it all over the place. In the car, dad thinks he's in charge. No directions, no help needed. Leave me to it. Thank you. Or swatting at people in the back. It could be on the ice where the coach thinks he's in charge. It could be in a classroom where a teacher's desperately trying to be in charge. Or it could be some little toddler shouting, mine! And we all know that they're in charge. But we get the point. We all like to be in charge of our own little world, even if it's only six or seven feet wide. We want things done our way, which is probably why Jesus taught us to pray to God the Father and say, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. And now it's actually happening. God's in charge. He's doing a new thing. The world is under new management. Things are going to start being done God's way. No longer is it necessary for us to live enthralled to powers that are always pushing and pulling us and telling us what to do. Desires that are out of control or greed or lust or, or anger or a sense of hopelessness in the world. Things that make us to become acquisitive or scared or selfish or hostile or violent. Things are changing. Everything changes because resurrection means God's kingdom, his way, is breaking into our world. The very God of the universe, the creator of all that is, he's making a brand new creation because resurrection means a new creation. It's not so much about going to heaven when you die as the fact that God is making everything new beginning right here and right now. He started with Jesus. 
and he remade his broken body. It was the first act of God's new creation. Jesus is alive again. The new creation has begun. And that means we've got a job to do. The early Christians, those first followers of Jesus, believed that resurrection began with Jesus that Easter Sunday morning. And it would not be complete until the great and final day when we all have been raised again. And in the meantime, God calls us in the power and strength of his Holy Spirit to be active. We have something to do. Paul would write again to his friends and he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Resurrection is the start of a new creation. It is our commissioning as the followers of Jesus to announce to a waiting world that Jesus is King. It is our commissioning as the followers of Jesus to work in our world for justice and peace and truth and beauty. And of course, because the new is coming, it means the old is fading away. Things are changing. The old creation is dying. Much of the privilege in our world that we've often been the beneficiaries of are changing. Our entitlements are evaporating. We now discover lots of other people want a slice of the pie and the pie's no bigger, so we all get a smaller slice. We face the reality that we don't dominate the world and tell them what to do anymore. We're learning that the irresponsible exploitation of our environment is hurting things and it's unsustainable. But the new is coming. And instead of people being, exclude because, being excluded because of their ethnicity or their religion, because of their sexual orientation or gender identity, because of their economic status, we discovered that they're all being embraced as Jesus taught us to love our neighbor. We're discovering that instead of greedy economics that keeps saying more for me, more for me, that we're welcoming in those with limitations and migrants and refugees, people facing homelessness or food insecurity, people whose health is fragile, and they're now being treated with dignity as brothers and sisters. Instead of indulging ourselves, taking everything we possibly can from the planet, we're learning to be responsible with what we have, even if that inconveniences us or diminishes our standard of living. Instead of strident nationalism that's we're the best and we're going to do this and we're going to do that, we recognize that we live in a community of nations as one people who are God's chosen, that he loves so dearly. We participate rather than dominate. The new creation has begun. In fact, Jesus himself says, See, I am making all things new. Resurrection means there's a new creation. And resurrection means that we can experience reconciliation. Reconciliation with God. You see, at some point, we all get that experience that God's a long way off. He's distant in the clouds somewhere. How did that happen? I don't know. We don't often know. For me, sometimes it's just because I make poor choices and I go wandering and then I turn around and wonder, where is he? Sometimes it's a big bust up and you think, how did I get this so badly wrong? 
in all sorts of ways. God feels distant to us, but to be reconciled, to be forgiven, is to be welcomed home. It's much more than just, hey, God's not too worried about what you're doing. We'll set that aside. As the reality that God longs to welcome you home as his child and bring you into his family. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, we live in a new world with a new reality where we can discover reconciliation with God. None of this would have happened had Jesus not been raised from the dead. Paul would write again and he says, For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. If you don't know, you've never experienced peace with God. If you've never discovered the wonder of God's grace, wow, are you in the right place today, whether it's in your own home watching me on a screen or sitting here in front of me right now. You're in the right place because today is a day for you. Jesus wants to encounter you today. He's here today calling your name. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to give himself completely to you and wait for you to accept his invitation. That just looks like saying yes, really. Yes to Jesus. I mean, saying yes to Jesus means I'm going to be going his direction, not mine. And that can be hard, but that's why he gives us his Holy Spirit. I don't need to be perfect at anything. God's Spirit will help and lead and guide and take us where we're going. It's choosing to follow and inviting God's grace into our lives. And I can know what it is to be forgiven. And I can know what it is to be God's kid. And I can know what it is to belong to his big family. And I can know what it means to live life Jesus' way. Because I have peace that reconciles me to God. It's also a peace that extends out, not just to me or you. It extends to all humanity. We read this in the Bible. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away and look, all things have come into being and all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is a peace that we don't just discover. We have the opportunity to disseminate. It's a reconciliation that we're not just the beneficiaries of, but we we become the agents, the ambassadors, who are taking that story of peace and forgiveness and reconciliation with us. We have peace with God so that we can offer that to others. Jesus' ambassadors. The great mission of God that comes to a climax in Jesus in his death and resurrection continues to be carried out in the lives of ordinary people like you and me when we allow God's spirit to work in us and through us to call others back home again and to be reconciled. At the heart of the mystery of the, re- of the resurrection is this strange truth that somehow when we tell this story, outlandish as it may seem, that when we tell this story, something happens and it spreads and lives are changed. Every time an addict comes out of the shadows and hiding and their life is changed, every time racial recon- reconciliation happens again, every time somebody who's put far more effort into their money than anything else, but they learn to become generous, every time a 
marriage that's beginning to crumble is healed again. Every single time, God is at work. Every time a parent who's put more into their career than their children realizes what's going on and makes the choice to be different, reconciliation happens and God's peace is extending because a resurrection means we can experience reconciliation. What does resurrection mean? It means that death is defeated and Jesus has knocked the door clean off the hinges. You can walk right through. What does resurrection mean? It means that God's kingdom has broken in. There's a new sheriff in town. Things are going to be different now. Resurrection means that God is remaking our world and he's inviting us to be his co-laborers and work with him on the project. Resurrection means that we can be reconciled to God himself and brought into his family. That's what resurrection's about. But what about you? What about you? Is this world that you live in everything you hoped it would be? If you're like me, your answer's probably not. Not yet anyway. But God is making all things new one day. No death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, no addiction, no abuse, no oppression, no exploitation, no war, no starvation. Everything new. And he's calling us to be part of doing that right now, ending slavery, eradicating poverty, poverty, ending injustice, providing clean water and sanitation to everybody, creating meaningful work. And he's inviting you. How can you help make a difference? Here's another big question, though. Is your life all you hoped it would be? Is it? Or do you live with a sense of disappointment that I do sometimes? We expected more. We hoped to be in a better place by now than we really find ourselves to be. We thought things would be different, but seemingly not. And some of us feel very disappointed with life and our hopes and dreams. It feels like they're evaporating. Can we find our footing on faith? Or will we just retreat into our despair and doubt, wondering where God is and what he's doing? When life doesn't, measure up, when our expectations are unmet, when things go wrong, the job ends, relationships crumble, when we face death, do I turn to God or do I just turn away from him and let him be? What do I do when life is like that? Maybe you find yourself a little like Mary in the story today, that first Easter Sunday morning, she'd seen the stone was rolled away. But she came to the wrong conclusion. She imagined grave robbers had beaten her to it. And she's freaked out about the whole thing. She never once imagined that Jesus would not be there. She never once imagined anything to do with resurrection. She just went to go and remember and pray quietly and cry. It never crossed her mind. And to discover that the stone was moved and he was gone was one more blow to an already shattered life. And maybe that is you today. Your life feels shattered. You have no more time for anybody to do one more thing to you. Maybe you've never really once imagined the story of resurrection or that it is anything whatsoever to do with your life. But I've got good news for you today. Because of resurrection, everything can change. Or maybe you're like Peter. 
as Luke tells the story, we read this. Peter got up. He ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And then he went home amazed or perplexed at what had happened. He didn't really know what to think. He knew as well as we do that dead rabbis stay dead. He had no category for what this meant. Neither do we. We all look at the world through the lenses we've given. And we all know the finality of death. It didn't make any sense. He's bewildered. He's confused. He's amazed. He's mixed up. And if that's you, showing up to church because you made somebody happy by coming, or maybe showing up because you feel a little curious, but it doesn't make a lot of sense just yet. This is confusing. Man, there's great news for you today, because Jesus wants to open your eyes and bring you out of the dark and help you see. And then there's John. Maybe some of us are like him. He saw the same things. He didn't really understand it either. In fact, the way we read the story in chapter 20, he didn't really understand the scriptures, the Bible. It all was confusing to him. But he believed. He believed that Jesus was alive. He believed this amazing news, that resurrection happened. They all saw, but he believed. Do you believe? Jillian and I have been married for almost 36 years now. What you may not know is, we've actually lived in proximity to each other for most of our lives, at least since we were 12, when I moved to the town where she lived in, a, a little town in Ireland called Carrickfergus. We actually went to the same school since we were 12 years old. We spoke sometimes. She used to give me bubble gum. As I see it, she spent 10 whole years giving me bubble gum, trying to get a date. <laughs> she interprets the facts somewhat differently. I certainly didn't know that she'd be my wife the day she first came up and gave me a bubble gum when I was 12 years old. We were in close proximity, but not close relationally. Something would change. One day it did. 38 years ago, this past week, April the 6th, I remembered the day because I used to work in taxation in the UK system. The tax year begins on April 6th. How weird is that? April the 6th, I took her on a date. Actually, I had to ask her mum for money to take her on a date because I was broke. But <laughs> Yes, I am a loser and she's a saint, but moving on. The wedding was still years away. But maybe that is you today and you're like Jill and me. Proximity, but no relationship. You're in proximity to Jesus. You show up at church, you read your Bible, you do some praying, you hang out with people that are Christians. You're in proximity, all right. But there's no relationship. Not really. Something needs to change. The good news of the resurrection is that that change can happen for you today, here, right now. You see, the good news is that Jesus is alive. The good news is that he has broken death's power and he offers us his life eternal. The good news is that Jesus did this for you. The good news is that there is far more to life than this. The good news is that Jesus is changing everything and he's inviting you to work with him on the project. The good news is that Jesus is inviting us to do life with him. The good news is that God's kingdom is coming. The good news is that he is making everything 
everything new. The good news is today that you can be forgiven and reconciled to God. The good news is we have hope. Are you ready for good news? Are you ready for good news? Maybe you could pray with me. And as we bow our heads to prayer, I really just want to ask you, would you like me to pray for you? Because I'd like to pray for you. And maybe for some of us here today, yeah, we've had the proximity thing, but we've never really hung out with Jesus a lot. And today you want that to be different. Today you want to be reconciled to God. You want to be part of the family. You want to know Jesus. Or maybe it is today that doing Jesus used to be like this, but something went wrong somewhere. It's been a long time. You miss him. Today's the day for that all to be different. And I'd love to pray for you. If you want me to pray for you, you can give me a little wave. Nobody will really see you. You don't need to make a big scene. Thank you. I can see you. And I'm going to pray. Praying right now, Lord Jesus, you see our hands and you see our hearts. And the truth is we need you. And some of this stuff is just beyond what we can fully understand or experience. It's not normal life for sure. But we know that we need you in the sense that you're looking for us today. And so I want to pray for people right now that have already said that and they're saying yes to you. Lord, we simply say yes. I'm sorry for whatever it is that's got between me and you or hurting me or others and taking me in the wrong way. I want to be forgiven and no peace. I want you to turn my life around because I'm not so good at change, but I know you are. And help me to follow, to be your follower, to be your friend. And Lord, I want to pray for some of us that life's taken a wrong turn somewhere and we don't even really know how but we want to come home again. And we pray that we would experience your welcome right now and that you can change absolutely everything about us because we say yes to you. Thank you for giving your life that we could discover true life. Thank you that in your resurrection, you've burst through everything that's normal to change everything for now and for all eternity. And so today we tell you, we love you. We choose you because you first chose us. Thank you. Amen.